All right, good morning. So today is the last sermon in our Gospel Culture series, and we're talking about, uh, about reconciliation today, specifically the, the ministry of reconciliation that we as followers of Jesus have. Next week, we're going to start the book of Ephesians together as a church. Um, so today, like our goal is, is to talk just, just about the ministry that we have together. And so some of it is going to be kind of more general, like this is what the Bible says about, about ministry. And then some of it is going to be more specific to BC, like this is, this is what our philosophy of ministry as a church is. And so we're going to start with uh, 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. So I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the slides, I think. Um, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you were and you are reconciling all things to yourself. Jesus, we thank you that you came and that even though you didn't know sin, you took on our sin so that we could be made right. That you, you took our unrighteousness and gave us your righteousness instead. We thank you that you made a way for us to be reconciled. We pray this morning that as we, as we look at your word this morning, that you would send your spirit to, to enable us to, to understand it, to benefit from it, to be uh, encouraged and enriched and challenged by it. That you would stir our affections for you, for who you are and what you've done for us. And that through your word, through the songs we sing, through the fellowship we have with one another, that you would draw us closer to yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our passage begins with Paul saying, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
So he's, he's tying what he's, what he's about to say to what he's just been talking about. In the first part of chapter 5, uh, Paul is, is talking about these, these two future realities that everyone is going to have to face. The first is the reality of the resurrection from the dead. He talks about everyone is going to be raised. And then the second thing he talks about is that everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So, so everyone is going to be raised from the dead, and everyone is going to face judgment. We're all going to have to experience this. So he says, verse 10, uh, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this is what, what people will face. They'll be raised from the dead. They'll go before the judgment. So in light of those realities, Paul says in verse 11, we persuade others. And he's going to unpack what he means by persuading others by talking about the, the ministry that he and his, his fellow workers have together. So there are these two big realities, right? The, the resurrection from the dead and the judgment for Jesus. So Paul says, we, we want to do something about that. We want to enable people to, to face these realities. So we, we persuade them. And he's going to talk about what that is. So he says... What we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So one of the things that's going on in 2 Corinthians is that these, these false teachers have kind of crept into the church. And, and they've made a really big deal about themselves and their, their qualifications and their credentials. And they've at the same time kind of called into question those things for Paul. So there's a couple places in 2 Corinthians where Paul says things like this. Like, I'm not going to commend myself to you again. Um, and what he's saying is that God is essentially his witness. And he says, like, what, what I am is, is known to you. Um, so he's, he's not going to do what these false teachers are doing. Like they boast about their outward appearance and not what's in their heart. Paul, Paul isn't going to play that game. So he's kind of giving them some tools to, to fight these false teachers by, by showing them how he's going to act kind of in comparison to them. He explains that if, if him or his, his friends seem crazy or irrational, it's because they're doing what God tells them to do. Um, right? There's a lot of what, what Paul did, how he lived his life, the places he went, that just don't make sense if, if the gospel's not true. Don't make sense if, if scripture's not real. It seems pretty foolish. Paul even calls himself a fool, right? If, if the gospel isn't reality. But Paul says if he's in his right mind, it's for the benefit of the Corinthians. Right? Paul is who he is uh, for the glory of God and for the good of the church. He explains why in verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. This is, is both the, the means and the motivation for Paul's ministry. So the, the reason why he does what he does, the reason why he, he wants to persuade others, the reason why he cares about the fact that people are going to be raised from the dead and come before the judgment seat of Jesus is because of the love of Christ. It, it's the reason why he does it. It's also what empowers him to do it. Because Christ has loved him, because he knows what Jesus has done for him, it enables him to do ministry for others. And Paul says that this is the case, right? The love of Christ controls him because of something that he's concluded. He's concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul's motivation for ministry is, is the love of Christ as expressed, as, as demonstrated in the gospel, in, in the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for his people. 
Right? He's the one who died for all so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but, but for him. Paul in his ministry is, is striving to do just that. He's, he's not in it for himself. He's not like those false teachers. He's, he's trying to please Jesus. He's living for him. And because of this glorious gospel reality, Paul says that from now on, they regard no one according to the flesh, right? They don't, they don't look at people as just skin and bones, right? It's just who has a body that's going to die and it doesn't really matter. They realize that people have a soul, that there's some eternal significance, right? He knows they're going to be raised and that they're going to face judgment. And so because of that, Paul is, is taking that into consideration with how he interacts with other people. He says that he, he once thought about Jesus according to the flesh, right? He thought Jesus was just a guy, but now he doesn't think about him that way any longer. Now he knows the truth. Verse 17, therefore, right, because of these gospel truths, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him, there is a fundamental shift, a change that happens in us. We become a new creation. Right? He, he makes us new. The old has passed away. Who we were before is gone. Uh, there, there's something new there. And Paul is going to explain his ministry in these new creation terms. Now, like we know, like the reality is that like if when someone puts their faith in Jesus... It's, it's not like their outward appearance changes. Right? They, they, they probably look about the same as they looked before. But the reality is that what Paul's saying is true. Who they were before is, is dead and gone. They are a new person. We talk about sanctification. Sanctification is just, is just a fancy word for like growth in Jesus as we live our lives as Christians. What sanctification is, it's, it's, it's the process of us becoming outwardly who we are inwardly at conversion. Right, so at, at conversion, Jesus makes us new. Like we are a new creation, the old is gone, but as we, as we live our life, that old person is still fighting for control. Right, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But as Jesus grows us, as the Holy Spirit changes us, as our, as our heart is transformed, we begin to live more and more like the new person we really are in Jesus and less and less like the old person we were before. So Paul is going to explain his ministry in, in these new creation terms. Look at verse 18. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, Paul says we've been, we've been reconciled to Jesus, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, Paul's explaining this more. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So this, this reconciliation ministry, it's both a, a ministry, something that they do, and also a message, something that they say. So it's a, a declaration and a, a demonstration. They're, they're doing both of these things. Verse 20, therefore, because of what Christ has done, Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, that's his message of reconciliation, through us. 
And then Paul's going to do this. He's going to actually do this for the Corinthians. He says, We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul here, he talks about this, this ministry, this message of reconciliation that they've been entrusted with. He talks about the fact that they're ambassadors of Christ. And then he kind of does this for the Corinthians. He, he tells them, to be reconciled, and he tells them how reconciliation is possible because of what God did for us in Christ. Because of Jesus, because of the good news of the gospel, reconciliation is possible. So Corinthians, be reconciled to God. And something we should recognize here is that Paul, in, in making this plea to the Corinthians, this letter is written to the church at Corinth. It's written to the saints. So like, this isn't an evangelistic plea from Paul here. When he, when he calls them to, to be reconciled, he's not saying be saved. Like sometimes it is that, but, but the Corinthians are already believers. He's calling them to, to ongoing growth and nearness to God in Christ. So Paul here, zoom out a little bit, is explaining his ministry to the Corinthians. He's talking about what he does and what he says and why he does it and how he does it. He says he, he does ministry because he knows that the resurrection is coming. He knows that judgment is coming. And he says because the, the love of Christ uh, controls him, as, as it's expressed and demonstrated in the gospel, it, it motivates him and his, his fellow workers to, to work out their ministry. But we should recognize that those motivations are different. Right? The way that the, the resurrection and the coming judgment motivate Paul is, is different than the way that the love of Christ motivates Paul. Right? The, the, the resurrection and judgment, it gives Paul a sense of urgency. But notice that when he preaches the gospel to people, the gospel isn't avoid hell. Right? It's not fear judgment. He focuses on who Jesus is and what he's done. He focuses on the, the love of Christ as expressed in the gospel. That is his, his controlling motivation. His plea to them is to be reconciled to God. His plea is that a, a sinless Savior took on sin to make you right with him so that you could be reconciled, so that you could be welcomed in, so that you could be brought into the family, right? So that you could be made new. That is, is Paul's gospel message. That is his message of reconciliation. And he talks about both a message and a ministry. As an ambassador of Christ, it's both about what he says and also about what he does. He has this ministry and message of reconciliation. And so there are two questions that we need to answer about this passage in order to figure out what, what we do with, with Paul's uh, ministry of reconciliation. The first question is why does Paul define his ministry in, in terms of reconciliation? And the second question is, is how does this passage, Paul talking about his ministry, how does that apply to, to me and to you? So question one, why does Paul define his ministry in terms of reconciliation? Well, I think Paul gives us the answer in verse 17. In verse 17, he starts to talk about salvation using, using new creation language, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, uh, the new has come, the, the old has passed away. And then he immediately shifts and, and starts talking about his ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. So I think that if we go back to Genesis 
it will help us to understand why Paul is talking about this, this ministry of reconciliation. We're not going to read these chapters. Instead, we're going to focus on four key things, specifically four key relationships. So what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that, that Adam has these four relationships. Both Adam and Eve have these four relationships, and, and they flourish in those relationships. I think we've got a, a graphic here. First of all, I want you to know that my graphic design services are available to all of you. So there's these four relationships Adam has in the garden. He has a relationship with, with God. He has a relationship with, with himself. He has a relationship with another human, Eve in this case. And he has a relationship with creation. So in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, before sinners, sin enters into the world, Adam flourishes in all of these relationships. So in his relationship with God, we find out in Genesis 1, 26-28, that human beings, men and women, are created in God's image and in his likeness. We have this unique role in God's creation and this unique relationship with God in his creation. We were made for this. And Adam and Eve, they, they, they walk with God in the garden. Uh, they, they live the life God has for them. They flourish in relationship with God before sin enters the world. The second relationship means relationship with himself. Before sin enters the world, Adam and Eve are who they are supposed to be. Right? Their identity is the identity that God gave to them. Right? They were sons and daughters of God. They, they didn't have self-doubt. They didn't have selfishness. They didn't have pride. They didn't have self-destructive behaviors. They just were who they were. The third relationship, man's relationship with, with fellow humans. In this case, it's just Eve. Right? Before the fall, Adam and Eve did not sin against each other. Their marriage had no conflict. And not like, you know, like when people start dating and they're like, we haven't had a fight yet. And everybody else is like, well, you either are or the relationship won't last. Adam and Eve didn't have fights. They existed together in perfect relationship, in perfect harmony. Like in a relationship that, that we won't even begin to understand until Jesus comes back and, and makes everything right. They flourished together as fellow humans. Number four, man's relationship with creation. So Adam and Eve exercised dominion over God's creation like God told them to. But they, they existed in a way that, that didn't abuse or misuse God's creation. They, they cared for it, doing the work that God had for them. They, they lived in perfect relationship with the world around them. But then comes the fall. Adam and Eve, they, they disobey God. They choose to do what they want instead of what he wants. And because of their sin, like everything is broken, everything is corrupted, and these four relationships are broken. Adam and Eve, instead of existing in perfect relationship with God, their relationship with him is broken. Instead of walking with him in the garden, they hide from him, hide from him when he comes to the garden. Because of their sin, they can no longer be in the presence of God, and so they're kicked out of the garden. They cannot be with God in the place that he has for them. They walk away from him. Second relationship, Adam and Eve, they, they hide from one another. 
Right? Instead of continuing this, this beautiful, conflict-free marriage, they, they hide from each other. They, they cover themselves in shame and fear. They feel distrust towards one another. Conflict breaks their previously perfect relationship. Number three, man's relationship with creation is changed as, as both are cursed. No longer do they flourish together, but instead now man, by, by the sweat of his brow, brings forth fruit from the ground. The ground isn't going to just produce fruit fruit anymore, it's also going to produce thorns and thistles now. There's enmity between them and the serpent and between their offspring and his offspring. There's conflict enters this relationship as well. And also Adam and, and Eve, their, their relationship with themselves has changed too. And no longer are they free of, of fear and shame and self-doubt. You know, too often we, we talk about sin as, as something that's, that's just against God and other people. But one thing we need to realize is that, is that some of the most harmful and hurtful things we do in sin are against ourselves. Uh, we believe lies about who we are. We, we self-harm, we self-sabotage, we, we self-destroy. Because in our sin, we, we no longer believe we are who God says we are. These four relationships get, get broken because of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that what's broken can be made whole. Right? What we break can be put back together. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. He says, all this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God, in Christ, is reconciling us to himself. But he's also recon reconciling the world to himself. Reconciliation is, is bigger than just dealing with us in, in our personal sin problems. Believers, Paul says, are given a, a ministry and a message of reconciliation. So because of Jesus, number one, we can be reconciled to God. That relationship that was broken because of sin can be restored. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ, because of who he is and what he's done for us, brings us back into God's presence. We who were once kicked out of the garden get back into the presence of God. We who were children of wrath are now children of God. We who are far off have been brought near. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been reconciled with God. Also because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to ourselves. Our, our relationship with ourselves can be restored. Passage after passage after passage in the New Testament reminds us about our identity in Jesus. It tells us who we really are so that we won't believe the lies about who we're not. Next week, we're going to kick off the book of Ephesians. And almost the whole chapter is just identity statement after identity statement after identity statement about who we are in Jesus. Because Paul knows that we often don't believe who we really are. Because of Jesus, we don't have to believe the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And we can trust that even though we're broken, we're being made new. Because of Jesus, number three, 
He can also be reconciled to one another. Right? We don't have to live at enmity with people. If a perfect God can be reconciled to imperfect people, then shouldn't imperfect people be able to reconcile with other imperfect people? As followers of Jesus, we don't just hold on to anger and bitterness and resentment, but instead we forgive as we've been forgiven. We, we don't fight for our own way, but instead we, we mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't hold on to, to cultural or political or ideological prejudices, but instead we recognize that Jesus has torn down every dividing wall of hostility. Number four, because of Jesus, we can also be reconciled with his creation. Like us, his creation is being made new. But also like us, it's still broken. Right? Things like, you know, pulling weeds or getting stung by wasps or having bats live in your attic <laughs> is not fun or enjoyable. But we know that God made this world for, for his glory and for our good. We know that, that this is not the way it was supposed to be, and that at the same time it is being set right. It's being made right. One day, all the, the corruption and the decay and the brokenness will be done away with, and it will fully and finally be how God meant it to be. And we won't be able to break it. Because sin won't exist anymore. We, as his followers, like Paul, have been entrusted with the ministry and message of reconciliation. We go out into the world both, both declaring and also demonstrating that because of Jesus, reconciliation is possible. What was broken can be fixed. What was wrong can be set right. We can be made right with God. We can live in community with other people. We can learn how to rightly love ourselves, and we can care for his creation instead of abusing it and misusing it. This is why Paul expresses his ministry in terms of reconciliation. Because of Jesus, we are new creations, and so we should live like and minister like that is true. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So question two. How does this apply to us? So I think I've kind of already let the cat out of the bag. But there are some people that would maybe say that this doesn't apply to all of us. Maybe it just applies to people like Paul and, you know, maybe pastors, maybe missionaries. Like those people do these things, but, but not everyone. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Paul. Ephesians 4 11 through 12. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So first of all, notice that verse 12 ends with a comma. That's not the end of the sentence. I, I cut it off. Paul goes on talking about what building up the body of Christ looks like. We don't have time to go into that today, but when we get to Ephesians 4, we will. So just, you know, hold that thought for several months. <laughs> Paul here, in these two verses, he's explaining that these, these people, these positions, 
that, that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He gave them to the church, and why he gave them to the church. He says that he gave them, uh, like people like Paul, that'd be Peter, James, Agabus, Philip, Timothy, uh, Quilla, and Priscilla, they were given to the church by God. They're, they're gifts. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So here's a question for us all. Who does the work of ministry? The saints, right? So that's Paul, right? Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, pastors, missionaries. Wrong. That's everyone, right? Paul often starts his letters by writing them to the saints, the saints who are in Ephesus, the saints who are in Philippi, the saints who are in Colossae. He's saying, believers, people who are trusted in Christ, you are saints in Christ. So, these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints, their job is to do the work of ministry. So to bring this down to a specifically practical level, uh, shepherds here is another word for pastor. So, Daniel, Sean, and I at BC, we are pastors at this church. So we believe, based on Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, that, that our job is to equip the saints for ministry, and then we believe your job is to do the work of ministry. Now, we are also saints, so we're not exempt from this. I'm not saying that you guys just do all the work and we do nothing. We equip and do the work of ministry, but all the saints at BC, we do the work of ministry. One of my simultaneously least favorite and most favorite questions I get asked as a pastor is, what kind of ministries does your church have? I dislike this question because it often comes from a place where there's a belief that the church's job is to provide this buffet of ministries that then we can come and pick and choose and consume. As if our job is just to provide entertainment or enjoyment for you. But I like it because then I can take that mindset and ignore it and answer it the way that I want to answer it, which is BC has all kinds of ministries because we have all kinds of saints. If you look at our website, there's not a long list. But if you meet our people, there is. The things you do as a follower of Jesus, as a member of this church, in your home, at your work, out in the community, whatever it is that you're doing are a ministry of this church. Because you're part of this church. And it's our hope that through being a part of this church, through, through the singing and, and the sermons and the fellowship on Sunday and the life together in MC, that that is better equipping you to go out and live your life as an ambassador of Christ, both preaching a message of reconciliation and living out a ministry of reconciliation. This is, that's, that's kind of our philosophy of ministry in a nutshell. Right? We exist to equip you to go out and, and live your life in a way that ministers to other people. But... 
That doesn't mean that as a church we don't have any formal ministries. So like right now, if you were to pull up the, the Church Center app on your phone, you would see that there's a group that's called Youth Ministry. It's because that's a place where as a church we've said it makes sense for us to partner together for this purpose. We've got these, we've got these youths. These youths need guidance. And so we should have a ministry that's intentionally equipping them as saints to go out and do the work of ministry. But we're not going to have ministry programs for anything and everything because we don't want to limit the ministry that we do together as a church, right? If, if all the ministry that BC does together has to be approved by and go through and be managed and overseen by the elders... Two things are going to happen. Number one, we're not going to do very much ministry. And number two, the elders will be miserable. Instead, we want you to be free and equipped and empowered to be ministers and messengers of reconciliation out in the world. I think it's helpful to think about this in terms of, of my thing, your thing, and our thing. So there are some things that are just going to be my thing. For example, at our house recently, we've had a child who has expressed interest in getting into golfing. I golfed a lot as a kid and as a young adult, and then we had kids and I never golfed again, <laughs> except for a few times. But now, I get to spend time with a kid and do it, so it's fun. And so we've been, we've been getting back into it. I could say, hey, I like golf. There are non-Christians who play golf. BC should have a golf ministry. We can create a budget line. We can form a ministry team. We can get a special logo with like BC and a golf ball. Like it'll be, it'll be awesome. That's my thing. Some of you might like golf. A lot of you probably don't. You also have your things, things that you enjoy doing, opportunities and gifts that God has given you that, that are the things that you do on your own. Some of people's things will become our thing, right? that we as a church will partner on together. But the reality is that most of them won't. Most of them will be things that I do or you do as ministers of Jesus out in the world because of the unique gifts and personality and opportunities that God has given you that he hasn't given to other people. And the reality is, if, if I try to make my thing our thing, it limits both my ministry and your ministry. It limits my ministry because then I, I can't just go do it I've got to, you know, go through forms and teams and approvals and budgets and all that other stuff. And it limits your ministry because then instead of you doing your thing, you're helping me with my thing. And probably not enjoying it as much as I am. We have to fight the tendency to make my thing our thing. There's not going to be a long list of those things for BC that are our thing together. And 
we've been trying to figure out how to communicate this because there are, there are so many ministry opportunities that BC has as a church. Like all day long, probably even right now, like email inboxes are filling up with requests. Like there's a Christian concert, there's a meeting, there's a missionary who wants us to support him. There, there are all these opportunities. But we want to limit the amount of things that we as a church say we're going to do this together because we want to do those things well. And so we support a handful of missionaries. And if I'm honest, I think we need to be doing more with them. Like I wish we could give more money and more time and send more people to encourage them and build them up. So when people come and they say, hey, I want to share, my tendency is just to say no. Not because I don't care about them, not because I don't think that what they're doing is good, but because I want us to do more with the people we have rather than spreading ourselves too thin. And so we're going to try to figure out how to better articulate, hey, these are the people we really want you to support, and we love these people. Let's support these ones. Or to communicate, like, there, there's an endless number of events that in Hannibal, we as a church could go to and, and be ministers at together. And there are some things that we think, hey, as a church, this is really important. We should be at this thing together. There are other things that it's just like, hey, this is an opportunity. If you have time and you're interested in this, go do this thing. But don't feel an obligation to if it's not your thing. And so we're going we're gonna to work on how to better communicate that, but, but we don't have the language yet. We don't want to be like, these are tier one missionaries, and these are tier two. This is the A team, this is the B team. We want to figure out how to do it in a way that, that's loving, but also clear. And so the reality is there's going to be a small number of things that we as a church do together as a formal ministry of believers church. But don't think that puts a limit on the ministry we do. It doesn't. It actually puts us in a place to where there is a much, 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 much larger number of ministry that's happening because we're out there doing it as members of this church. Right? BC, as an entity, exists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. BC, as, as church members, exists to do all that ministry. And so as you're out there living your life, doing the things you do, don't think I'm out here on my own. Recognize that we as a church, we want to be behind you. We want to support you. We want to equip you. Your thing probably isn't going to become a formal ministry of the church. But that doesn't mean that we don't care about it. It doesn't mean we don't want to help you with it. It doesn't mean we don't want to pray for you and support you and encourage you and, and help you be better equipped to do that thing. So the application for us this morning is to go out and be ambassadors of Christ, right? We have been reconciled, and we've been entrusted with a ministry and a message of reconciliation. So don't wait around for your ministry to become formalized as some sort of ministry. Just live your life as a minister and messenger of reconciliation. Just be who Jesus is making you to be and do what he's calling you to do. If we can help... Let us know. We, we want to. We want you to be better equipped and to feel better equipped. But, but don't think that we're holding you back. 
Don't think you need our approval or our permission. Just do it. Like, we want to equip you and send you out. So if you have questions about what that looks like, let's talk about it. But the application is go and, and do your thing as an ambassador of Jesus. Because we have been reconciled. And God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone. But that you've given us your spirit. And you've given us your word. And you've given us a church family to, to live life with in the midst of a broken world. We pray that you would help us to, to be better equipped to do what you're calling us to do. Pray that you would make us passionate about the things that we care about in our life. And that we would passionately fight to find opportunities in those things to be ambassadors of Christ out in our community. Jesus, we thank you that you came to set everything right, to make us right with God, to, to restore our relationship with ourselves by giving us a new identity in you, making us right with others, I, helping us to forgive as we've been forgiven. And that you're fixing this broken world just like you're fixing our broken bodies. We pray that you would just help us to grow as your ambassadors, as, as ministers and messengers of reconciliation in a world that needs to know that it's been reconciled. It's in your name we pray. Amen.